Gospels and turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. If you're still standing, go ahead and do so a bit longer if you're able. And uh, let's turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. Uh, This morning we're going to look primarily just at verse 6. Although, to start us off, I'm going to read once again from verse 1 down through verse 7 to give us the, the broader context here. These are God's words for us, and here's what God says. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours, By the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of evil desire. For this very reason... Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. You may be seated. Thank you, Father, for your word There is no word like your word. And our prayer now as we look at a portion of your word is that you would stir in our midst, that your spirit would be present with us, taking these words and working change and transformation and and every good grace into our hearts and lives. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this morning we now jump back in to our summer uh, scripture study. We are attempting to memorize the first 11 verses of 2 Peter chapter uh, 1, uh, verses 1 through 11, and we are taking 11 weeks to study them on this Lord on these Lord's Lord Day mornings. We and while we're spending 11 weeks on verses 1 through 11, We have slowed things down and are spending seven of those 11 weeks on verses 5 through 7. 5, 6, and 7. We are one at a time looking at these seven traits, uh, these character traits, these these virtues, if, if you would, that we are to add to or to cultivate or to supplement with our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. This morning we are going to look at the fourth trait steadfastness. Two things, broadly speaking, that I want us to think about in terms of a way to structure our time together. First, we're going to spend probably the most amount of time just considering steadfastness, thinking about what is this thing and what does it consist of and look like. And then we'll spend a bit of time um, thinking about how to cultivate 
how to grow in steadfastness in our lives. And so this morning we talk about cultivating steadfastness. And yet uh, the starting point is not cultivating steadfastness. The, the starting point it takes us back to verses 1 through 4 of Second Peter chapter 1. The starting point as we learned in the first two verses, the starting point is we start with Jesus. We start with what does it look like and consist of to have a living relationship with Christ through faith. So as we think about the most of our time this morning about cultivating steadfastness, uh, uh, today's message in, this, in, in that sense is, is not the place to start. The place to start is with Jesus. And if you do not know Jesus, that's the starting place for you. Knowing that the call upon you this morning by the grace of God is that you would turn to Christ and that you would trust only in Him. Knowing that, that the estrangement that you and I as sinners, as sinners have before a holy God has cut us off from God's goodness and, and God's presence and, and that we are actually condemned before Him because of our sin. And yet God didn't leave us in that state. He has sent Jesus to rescue people like us. He has provided a way out, and that way out is the perfect Lamb of God who lived a life of flawless righteousness and obedience and then went to the cross as a substitute, substituting himself for people like you and me and any and all who would turn and trust in Christ. That's the starting point. There, 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 there's, a, there's a certain silliness about thinking about steadfastness without first considering who Christ is and what He has done. Second, then, the, the next component, then, in verses 3 and 4, after we consider something of what does it look like to have a living relationship with Christ through faith, is the, 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 the realization of what Christ provides to us. And verses 3 and 4 are mind-blowing, uh, that, that, that in relationship with Christ, Christ has provided you and I this very day, this very week, everything we need to pursue a godly life. <laughs> he, he's even enabled us to, he describes it, to be partakers of the divine nature. Now, that doesn't mean we're God. We're still mortals and creatures, and, and yet the divine spirit, because of the blood-bought cross of Christ, has enabled us to now be partakers of the divine nature. We have everything we need, everything we need to live a life that is characterized as steadfast. Now... Uh, the translation that I'm using, ESV, English Standard Version, uh, says the word steadfastness. Other translations might say words like endurance and uh, or or patience or in or um, uh, uh, perseverance. Uh, so that, but and these all kind of maybe connote the the same things. Um, and, and, but literally, the, the the word here for steadfastness is literally to remain under. To remain under. We are to cultivate a remain underness in our lives. 
We are to be people who are characterized as those who know how to remain under. I'll explain more about that in a second, but let, let, me, let me back up and revisit the, the sequence here. After we turn and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, that's the starting point, what's next? It's really what Peter is, is addressing here in the broader scheme of things. What's next? I mean, do we, just, do we turn and pray a prayer and trust in Jesus, and then we just kind of live our life as we please and, and wait for heaven? No, Peter is, is explaining to us what's next. Uh, make every effort, do everything you can to supplement your faith in Christ with virtue. And, with, and, and virtue with knowledge. And knowledge with self-control. And self-control with steadfastness. In other words, there's a whole lot to do between the moment that we turn and trust in Christ initially and the moment that we see Him face to face in the eternal state. There's a lot to do. There's a lot of effort to put forth. There's a lot of work to do. And yet there is ample grace to do every bit of effort that we are called to make. Particularly, we are to, what's next? We are to grow in Christ. We are to cultivate uh, a maturity uh, of life. And we are to do the, uh, that by, first of all, supplementing our faith with virtue. Virtue is doing the right thing. Now, we start this with what's next? What's next is a resolve to do the right thing. And then, then to supplement that virtue with knowledge. If if virtue is doing the right thing, knowledge is knowing the right thing to do. Isn't it interesting? You start with a resolve. In other words, if you really want to learn the right thing to do, it it really starts with saying, I want to do the right thing. It doesn't say, now show me the right thing to do, and then I'll think about it. I'll think about it if I want to do the right thing. You know what? You'll always be the fool. Uh, uh, Always learning, but never learning. No, we, we start with, I, 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 in following Christ, I now am assigned a life of doing the right thing. And now I seek knowledge from God and His Word as to knowing the right thing to do. Self-control, the word from two weeks ago, is um, choosing to do what you know is the right thing to do. So uh, it's resolving to do the right thing. It is knowing the right thing to do. And in the moment, in, in, in competition of even competing internal desires, it's still, since I know the right thing to do, I will choose to do the right thing. Now, steadfastness adds to this equation. Steadfastness, uh, whereas, whereas self-control is choosing uh, to do what you know is the right thing to do, steadfastness is continuing in persevering in uh, the, chokes, the choice to do what you know is the right thing to do. In other words, if we combined steadfastness with self-control, here's some of the ways that they kind of interplay with each other. There are two obstacles in life, only two. <laughs> there are two obstacles in life to doing what you know is the right thing to do. There is an internal obstacle. In other words, there's competing uh, evil desires that doesn't want to do the right thing. There's things inside of you still. Even, even if you've been bought 
by the Lord Jesus Christ and possessed by the Spirit, there are still lingering desires that, uh uh-uh, don't want to do that. And you got to know that. And that's why cultivating self-control is so crucial. Self-control is, is battling this internal challenge where we have distorted desires. Not, not all desires are evil. Not all, des- all desires are bad. But we have a combination of good, holy, noble desires uh, placed in there by the Holy Spirit. And we still have lingering effects of the flesh of of, of evil, of bad desires. And self-control is knowing how to put down, how, how to deal with the remaining evil desires so that we do the right thing because there is an enemy still inside of us that doesn't want to do the right thing. But the second, there's only two of them. There's something inside of us and there are things outside of us. There are disruptive external difficulties that call for steadfastness. Steadfastness is really the picture that we have of we remain under those difficulties. And while we remain under those, our first goal is not to get out from underneath them. Our first goal is to do the right thing while underneath them. Sometimes we like to delusionally think that if I just was given this carefree, trouble-free, difficult-free life, I would always choose the right thing because, uh, because uh, I wouldn't have this bad thing outside of me uh, that's making it so difficult to do the right thing. Well, first of all, that ain't going to happen this side of eternity. Secondly, we have only two enemies, one of which is the external difficulties that makes, makes it hard to do the right thing, but we still are left with an, 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 an internal desires that, that are still plaguing us to do the right thing. We, when we look at the, at the circumstances, the situations, the difficulties of life, the hard circumstances, the trying situations, the, the testy problems in life. These external problems seem to make it hard, nearly impossible to do the right thing that we know to do. We don't want to put up with external difficulties. We don't want to put up with disruptive difficulties. We want to quit And yet the word for us is steadfastness. The word for us is not to quit under the the pile of pressures of external circumstantial difficulties. The word for us is that we would remain under them. Let me caveat this. I'm painting with a broad stroke here. What I'm not saying is that, say, for instance, we think of someone who is in an abusive situation. We think of a child who's in an abusive situation. My word for that child is not to remain under that. My word for that child is to call for help. My word for that person is we need to get law enforcement in on that. And somebody needs to be taken out of that home and arrested and charged and and prosecuted. So I'm I'm painting in broad strokes here this morning 
that the, that the default setting for you and me is regardless of the difficult external circumstances. Our default setting isn't, how do I get out of here? Our default setting is, what does steadfastness look like? How do I remain under this? Now, had lots of preparation the last 12 days in preparing for a sermon on steadfastness. Disruptive external difficulties. For the last week and a half, 10, 12 days, um, uh, for the most part, it's been me traveling with nine ladies. <laughs> now, I understand this is circumstantial. Because those nine ladies would contend that just one of me is worse than the composite difficulty of nine ladies. And so it's a perspective thing. Even this morning as Diane and I were dragging around and trying to get our act together and get here, and just I looked at Diane and I said, you know, what you need today is a long car ride this afternoon with me. She said, that's what you think. Steadfastness is not passivity in the situation. We could somehow take that away by when I say remain under. We could just, but, but steadfastness is not a word that lets us connote a passivity. It, it is an active response while remaining under. An active response of seeking and choosing to do the right thing in the situation. So it is very, very active. Steadfastness is not a a resignation, but an activation to all the more persevere and to endure and to press forward in what is the right thing to do, even amidst this external difficulty. Even when we are even when we are in the midst of wrong things occurring all around us, and even when those wrong things are directly pointed at us, what does it look like to remain actively steadfast in choosing to do the right thing in the midst of the situation? First Peter, Peter's first letter, chapter 2, he says in verse 18, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. You hear what he's saying? If you, if, if you, if you have a master who is, who is a knucklehead, he's unjust, he doesn't say, hey, you don't have to put up with that. He said, no, remain under that, for this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures. There's our cluster of thought there, endurance, steadfastness, when one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, then you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. That's a hard word, isn't it? But remember, we have everything we need to live a godly life. We are now partakers of the divine nature. And what that means is that no matter what the external circumstances are, we can remain steadfast. We can actively respond in the right way to the situation. 
It's never a passive resignation. If you've ever read, particularly there's a couple of lists in 2 Corinthians concerning what the, what the Apostle Paul had to endure, what he had to go through, the, the physical sufferings, the emotional torment, all that he had experienced. And, and, and yet, listen to this, not passive resignation, but this active response in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. He says, not that I have already obtained it, or am I already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but the one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul's life of steadfastness was not one of passive resignation. In fact, it was one of active courage. In fact, particularly the word steadfastness in the, in the very culture of the New Testament, the very Greek word for steadfastness, w- w- was often equated with, ma- uh, with manly virtue. In other words, what do, mi- what do men do? Courageous men stand under the pressure. They stand up under it. They, they don't resign. They, they don't just say, well, this is my lot in life. Que sera, sera. But they say, what is the right thing to do even when the wrong thing may be directed toward me? That's the portrait of steadfastness that we have. And these words challenge us. These words even make us weak-kneed and wobbly, and rightfully so in that sense. But, but part of what makes them so difficult to hear is that we have bought into a whole host of cultural assumptions. Cult, cultural assumptions that, that cause us to think, you know, uh, isn't it a guarantee that life should be pleasant and easy? And when it's not pleasant and easy, we're like, what's going on here? Why is my life the glaring exception? Uh, Or we even invoke God in this, and we say, God wouldn't have me put up with this. In fact, we would even redefine notions of happiness and, and say, God wouldn't have me put up with this because God would have me happy. And that's where the devil comes in with a half lie. God would have you happy, but do you? But, but we have to understand happy's, happiness's origin. Happiness always comes through virtue and character development, and not split apart from virtue and character development. God would have you happy in your marriage. That's why he placed who he placed with you to develop the virtue and character you need to grow and to mature into a person who knows how to be happy in the midst of difficult circumstances. Otherwise, you're going to have quite a string or quite a list of people that you figure out, you know what, they're not making me happy either. They're kind of mean. Yeah, we all are. Steadfastness is a character trait that we strive to cultivate, and yet, on the other hand, it's also a quality um, uh, that, that 
that is descriptive of a life of virtue as a whole. For instance, in James 1, he talks about count it all joy uh, when various trials come your way, knowing that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And he goes on to say, that, and as we, as we develop that steadfastness, steadfastness will have its, pull, its full perfect outcome. Or in Romans chapter 5, where he talks about we rejoice in our sufferings because suffering produces endurance or steadfastness. And, and then he says, and then steadfastness produces character. And so in other words, on the one hand, steadfastness is a character trait. On the other hand, ste- steadfastness is a gateway to produce character traits. So how do we cultivate steadfastness? How do we grow in being a steadfast person? How do we grow in being steadfast when everything externally around us is trying to convince us that steadfastness is not the route to go? It's time to bail. It's time to raise the white flag. It's time to give up. Well, just a couple of suggestions. First, the first thing I would say is that in your life and in my life and in our life, cultivating steadfastness is not a Lone Ranger gig. Now, steadfastness ultimately comes from God. We, we, we need to connect with God through Christ if we're going to be people who are characterized as steadfast. But, but, but in part of God's design, the way God grows us in the trait of steadfastness is that he surrounds us with his people. Steadfastness is, first of all, a community project. In Romans 15, verses 5 through 7, he says this. Paul says this. Toward the end of the book, he says, May the God of endurance. Now, interesting. So where does endurance come from? Where does steadfastness come from? Well, God knows a thing or two about endurance and steadfastness. And so if we're going to, like, figure out endurance and steadfastness, what it is and how to do it, uh, we need to certainly look to God. And so he says, may the God of endurance. And then, but notice how he works this out. Because the God who gives endurance, the God who knows a thing or two about endurance, has means by which he grows us in endurance. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live together in such harmony with one another that together with one voice we may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. You see what he's connecting here? Are you interested in steadfastness? Are you interested in cultivating steadfastness in your life? Well, first of all, that means you've got to go vertical. You, it, we have to get that from God, from the Lord Himself. But it also means that the way the Lord dispenses that is through His people, through the fellowship of the saints. We look to God for endurance, but as we look to God for endurance, God says, Look around you and the people that have placed in your life that's part of your church family. These are the people that I want to bind you to because these are the people through whom I am going to enable you to experience steadfastness. I am going to enable you to figure out what does it consist of to cultivate a life of steadfastness. So Hebrews chapter 3, speaking of 
the one-anothering function that you and I have. It says, but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today. So, so when do you and I exhort each other every day? And, and, and uh, at what point throughout the day is a good day to exhort one another? As long as it is called today. So every day, all day, if you would. I know that functionally doesn't break down. i got a life to live besides that. But, but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. If, if we, if you would, it's not the word, but it's the imagery. If we remain steadfast, if we endure, if we persevere to the end, then you and I need each other to speak a word of exhortation in each other's life. You and I need a word of building encouragement which encouragement literally means to build encouragement into somebody. If, if steadfastness is, is, uh, is an act of courage, then you and I need help uh, fostering that courage in each other's lives. Let me just give you one portrait of why do we need each other in the notion of steadfastness or endurance. Well, when life gets hard for you and I, when the bottom drops out, when the difficulties come, one of the things that we internally struggle with at that moment is we ask, why? If, the, if Christ loves me, why is this so hard? And, 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 and that's where you and I can come alongside each other. And at times we're just going to come alongside each other and cry and hug and, and encourage each other that way. But, but at some point, we, we will open our mouths and we will try to in, in, encourage each other in the truth. We will exhort one another every day as long as it is called today, lest we be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. It would be sin that would be trying to deceive us, saying, see, Joe, you thought you wanted to follow Jesus because you thought that would be easy street because that's what the evangelist told you. Your problems would all be gone, and now you've got double the problems, and it's, it's, it's twice as hard as you originally thought. So, Joe, don't keep going on with Jesus. Bail out. Drop out. Quit. What Jesus calls you and I to persevere, to remain under the circumstances that he sovereignly has placed us under. He calls us to endure and to remain steadfast, and yet he places us in his body, his fellow believers, so that the God of endurance would, through his body, give us the encouragement and the exhortation that we need. When we struggle with even doubting the, the reality of Christ's love because of our problems. There's a couple of things that we could encourage each other with. We could... First, whatever problem that any one of us is going through, we can encourage each other and say, God has all the grace you and I need to endure this he, he, he doesn't cut and run. He is the God of endurance. He, he doesn't bail out. He, he, he's, he doesn't doze off. Remember, he's, he neither sleeps nor slumbers. He's, he's not the God who um, just, I don't know, sometimes he's just inattentive to our situation. 
No, he's, he's a very present help in our time of need. And we can speak these sort of precious truths into each other's lives for the purpose of encouragement and stimulation and exhortation. His grace is always with us to endure. And second is that he wastes no troubles in our lives. His purpose, his purposes are good. That, that, that the outcome of choosing endurance is the good purpose of maturing us in Christ-likeness. So we need each other. But then quickly, secondly, a second component is we cultivate, we cultivate steadfastness by considering Christ. We cultivate steadfastness by choosing to be steadfast in the moment of difficulty and the person that we look to the relationship that we want to draw even more intimate and closer to is Christ. Hebrews 12 says this, let us run with endurance. Let us run with steadfastness, the race that is set before us. We don't pick the race course, do we? It's been picked for us by our loving Father. He has put us right where He wants us this morning in our life. And the calling upon us at least the, the default setting for how we should figure out the calling for us is that this race is not a race to drop out. It's a race to endure. It's a race of steadfastness. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. But then he was just looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, the one who has enabled us to trust in him to begin with, and the one who will enable us to continue trusting in him to the end. We run our race with endurance, and yet we do so with our eyes on Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured, remained steadfast, if you would, endured the cross, despising its shame. And then it says in verse 3, consider him. So looking to Jesus, considering him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. How do we cultivate steadfastness? We look to the one who is steadfast. We depend upon, we rely upon, we trust in the one who is the captain of our endurance, the master of our perseverance, the king of our steadfastness, who exemplifies what it looks like to endure and be steadfast, and whose grace is more than we need to be enabled to remain steadfast. Father, thank you. Thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, who is now set before us, who has now run the race that you marked out for him, and he ran it with joy. And so may we look to Jesus this morning, and may we not merely have the grace we need to endure the race. May we have the grace we need to, like Jesus, run the race with joy. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.